Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for well-qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. Nice post-pandemic to have people in the studio. And and today, uh, we have the author of Between the Mountain and the Sky, Maggie Doyne, who's joining us along with Matt Segrist, who is the head of school at the Renbrook School uh, in West Hartford, uh, right on the mountain. Uh, ironically enough, with the title. And uh, Maggie will be talking about her book tonight at Renbrook. Is that right, Matt? That's right. What time is that? 6.30 to 8.30. Okay. And I, I recommend every everybody who who has the the time and, and the geographical advantage of being close to go. What I want to say, Maggie, we have you're going to be with me for with us for an hour. I want to tell you how I got to read this book. So Matt Segrist, who you know well, which I want to get to how you know him well, he started this book. Dude's book club, and I have to tell you, his and everyone gets to choose a title, and his first title I did not I did not like, I didn't like it. Sorry, I mean I didn't like it, and it was and so then he a couple like two months later or something he basically said, listen, this is what I, I want to do. I want to redeem myself. I ha- no, that's not what I have <laughs> this 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 young woman who I know coming to town to talk about this book. I thought it'd be great if everyone read the book and then we could meet her. I mean, to me, like me, me, and I was in, in my head, it's like memoir, someone I don't know. His bat last choice was, was brutal. I was, I wasn't, I was, it was sort of like one step of like uh, skepticism and one part, one part um, uh, snottiness. I don't know. And then I read the book and the book is, I mean, honestly, like I get a little emotional and it's, it's a really well written. Did you get help on this? Did, oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. I had amazing editors and really good moms helping me figure it, just, it out. Yeah. It just reads so well. And before I get into to, to part of it, I want because I know, Matt, you have to actually go run your school. And so Maggie's from New Jersey. And you know, the book is basically about her journey to Nepal and starting you know, an orphanage and, and a school there. And we'll, we'll get into all of the elements of that. But how do the two like how do how are you two close? So uh, the story really is about Maggie, but uh, we were along along for the ride over the years. I worked at a school called Peck in New Jersey, uh, and we had a, a really great character education program that understood the importance of role modeling as it relates to to putting people in front of children that we, we would like them to aspire to. Uh, so each year, a piece of that was honoring a local um, person who was uh, kind of exhibiting the, 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 the character elements that we were aspiring to. And um, I think Maggie may have been the first recipient of our uh, Character Education Award. 
uh, which allowed us to bring her into to school, speak to our students and our faculty and staff. How early in the process of what you were doing was that? I was probably like 22, mm-hmm. maybe younger. Yeah. <laughs> I was still a baby. She, uh, <laughs> with all of the energy and vigor uh, now that she had then, but uh, we just had this amazing relationship between uh, the Peck School and the Coppola did you go? School. Did you go to... Did you go to Peck? Oh no, okay. I'm a public school kid. Okay, yeah. But... And you just you just thought like, wow, this, she's amazing. I want to stay in touch with her. Like you have someone visit your school all the time. Yeah. So the school uh, recognized what an opportunity it was for for our kids to see the example that she set. And uh, over the years, uh, we created an exchange between Peck and Coppola Valley School, and uh, we brought some of their teachers over to our school and some of her students, some of my best students ever. Hmm. Um, and uh, over the years, um, some of our teachers and administrators went to, to the Coppola Valley School as well. Now, we're going to have to take a break, and then we'll, we're going to full force into the book, but you've had so many different stops along the way with people who you talk to to get support, and you have tons of deep relationships. Like, why like why this connection with, like, the, if you know the Segrist family, they have four daughters. This is Kathleen and Mrs. Segrist is a great, incredible family, but obviously this you could have had this relationship with a bunch of different people and families, right? I mean, what, mm. what about this connection has brought you to Connecticut? Well... I mean, I love those girls. I love Kathleen. I love this family. Matt's Matt's an afterthought. Yeah, we've just just stayed in touch over the years, and we're all passionate about education and children, and that's my passion is getting the story in front of kids. And we share that. I think think we share that in our hearts, right? Mm, Absolutely. Maggie is one of those people that um, I think every one of her friends feels as though uh, they're her best friend. Uh, but we all learn eventually <laughs> yeah. that she has this amazing network of people uh, that, that are just so dedicated to her and her work. And uh, that, that's what makes her so special among many other things. So I'm just going to – quick summary, summary. You know, she was intended intending to take a gap year, uh, went to Nepal, and ended up dedicating her life to her work. I mean, never went to a four-year residential college, correct? Yeah. No, so, not yet. <laughs> maybe it's maybe at some point. And the story of her journey is called "Between the Mountain and the Sky," and we're going to talk about it uh, quite a bit in the next uh, next block, and then beyond. She'll be with us for the entire hour. Matt, thank you so much for bringing the book. And as as much as I I I, I kid you, I mean, the book really was. Uh, really powerful for me. And then my wife read it and she mm-hmm. brought it to the Loomis Chapey School to for other people to read it. So um, I, I think it's really an important read and we'll talk more about it. But thank you, Matt. So we're back here with Maggie Doyne, author of Between the Mountain and the Sky and Matt Segrist, head of school at the Renberg School in West Hartford. All right. So Ma- Maggie, I, I, you know, I have so many notes that I took. I just I know you've told the story a lot, but for people who are listening who have no idea about the book or, or about you, just before we get to where you are, like, how did you end up in Nepal, staying there? I mean, I know you can't do a whole book in 16 years of life in in, in one block, but just g- give us the origin story. Okay, so I was a Jersey girl. I grew up in the suburbs on a cul-de-sac. I had a little blue house, a mom and a dad, three sisters, a dog, a trampoline in my backyard. Could walk over to, to school. and Pleasantville. Yeah, just normal childhood of a of a kid in the suburbs and when you're a kid of of privilege growing up in a nice suburban town you go to college and all of a sudden I just woke up one morning my senior year and I was trying to do all the things like get the right SAT score and take the right classes and be you know good at soccer and lacrosse and 
at the last moment, I was just like, wait a second. I don't really know even who I am or what my purpose is or what I even want to study with at all of these schools. So I haven't really left New Jersey. What if I took a gap year and kind of just saw the world outside of this little sort of bubble that I've been in? But, you know, I felt the exact same way, but I still did it. You know, so Mm. was was it. Were you, your parents, were they supportive and shock? And what gave you the sort of the strength to be able to say, I'm doing this? They were, my parents were really supportive. They were kind of like alternative, didn't, didn't, I mean, just the cost alone of college right now. Brutal. If you're not going in clear on what you want to do and you're walking out with hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt. So, so they were, they were on board with all of that. They were like, like yeah, phew, we're- I don't have to pay 35 grand <laughs> next year. It's, it's, it's insane. Yeah. So I, so I you could have no gone idea. to Europe. You could have gone and gotten a job in Cleveland. I mean, well, the first semester I was in Australia, like surfing, and I got my belly button pierced. <laughs> it was not. I did not go out to do anything. I went out to just see the world, understand myself, learn about other cultures. It was. It was a very selfish endeavor. It yeah. wasn't like I'm going to go help children somewhere. But I ended up in northeastern India in the year 2005. There had been a mega civil war going on across the border in Nepal, and I started to meet refugees and migrants who were my age and younger, and I became friends with a young gal who wanted to go find her home in Nepal and her identity. And so we ended up packing up, getting on a bus for three days, walking for four more into a rural Himalayan village, and that was my friend's home. And I also found a sense of home and... um, I've been in Nepal ever since. It's been it's been 16, 17 years. Yeah. So 16 years. So you get there and there's a language barrier, correct? Oh, mega language barrier. My friend Sunita is, is translating and the country was and, and this region was ravaged by war. Schools had been closed down. Families had been separated. There was an orphan crisis. Nepal already has so much going against it because it's Himalayan. It's the most right. food deficit region in the world. They have to subsistence farm. You get it. Like girls are getting married before the age of 18. It's the highest maternal and child death rate in the world. And it was in dire straits. So you're 19 and you say to yourself, I want to do something. So what do you like? What do you do? What do you do next? Well, I also just fell in love with the place. It was beautiful. It was Himalayan. Everybody who goes to Nepal falls in love with Nepal because it's an incredible place. But I had this moment where I was walking across a dry riverbed and I saw children breaking rocks and they were three years old and five years old and seven years old. Why were they breaking rocks? For salt? They had mallets. They were breaking rocks to make money and they were selling it as gravel. So they would break these rocks into hundreds of pieces, put them in bags and sell them for a dollar a day. And this was in this dry riverbed and this was how children were living and surviving in the region. So you, you, what do you just, you have an epiphany that I need to do something. I like, what, what, like going to a place and seeing this and then you go back home and you show your pictures and you tell your story, but I'm trying to figure out like how you went from, you know, observing to action. I felt first, I just felt so let down. I was like, how are we living on a planet where it's okay for children who are four years old to be breaking rocks to survive. And I was just sad and hopeless and just like kind of disgusted by it all. I was just like, why? And how did I not know? Like you're staring 
into the eyes of children who are hungry and cold. And then I was looking at the face of this one girl. She was a rock breaker. Her name was Hema, and she said namaste. And I was like, all right, forget a million children or 160 million orphan children in the world. What if I just did something for Hema? And that was that was the beginning of realizing that the single most effective thing that you can do to change uh, and end the poverty cycle and the trajectory of a person or a child's life is education. And that kind of took us down the road of education. And Hema went to kindergarten. It was like $7 for admission fee. And I watched her life change. And that was the beginning and the end. And one day I was like, I want to walk across this drive ribbon. I don't want to see a single child breaking rocks. And just one child at a time, uh, we started. And my co-founder, Tope, and the Nepali community we're all right there by our side, and and we set out to raise children in a loving, peaceful community and change the the reality. And you 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 want to say something? Oh, you're good. You started the orphanage first, yeah, and then the school second. Yeah. So we hated orphanages. They are these dark, dismal, awful places where kids get you know put. And you think of the word orphanage, and they're just awful. You wouldn't sure. want your kid to grow up in an orphanage. No. So we changed that. We're like, we're going to paint the walls yellow, and there's going to be big healthy meals and music playing and soccer balls and a swing set and that became our home and children who had lost everything could come into that home and it was family-based care and a place that you'd want to be raised in and you know it's been 16 years now and we're going up against a hard break in about 90 seconds so i i will save my question about funding and crisscrossing worlds but i'll just say in the time that you've done this I mean, in terms of changing outcomes, you can't bat a thousand, but it, I mean, in tr- it, it, how, how many outcomes have you changed, do you think? A hundred percent of our children are within Nepal getting jobs, working, successful, <laughs> becoming engineers, teachers, doctors, social workers. We have, it works. This is an effective strategy to ending child poverty. So the book is Between the Mountain and the Sky. Uh, her voice is Maggie Doyne, and she wrote the book. And it basically uh, takes her through her journey. And one element of the book that's really fascinating is going from Nepal and coming home and coming back to that privilege and trying to raise money and trying to, to continue the, the mission of what you're trying to do. And when we come back in about 10 minutes, I, I want to talk about how that that culture shock and how you you still manage it today. And then I also, I mean, I have a whole bunch of stuff I want to talk about. We're really grateful for your time. We're back here with Maggie Doyne. Uh, it's just really just special for me. She wrote Between the Mountain and the Sky about her experience. Uh, started off as a gap year from New Jersey and, and has now been doing this work for 16 years. And we've been talking about that journey. And I wanted to go back to when, you know, your experience. How, first of all, how many months a year are you in Nepal? Probably... Nine to ten months a year. So you're still going over for the bulk of your mm-hmm. life, and 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 you come back to see family. Yep. And are you still coming back to raise money too? Oh yeah. So I'm the I'm the CEO of the Blink Now Foundation. We're based in New Jersey still, and we're on. <laughs> we're always doing our thing, fundraising. And, yep. And maybe it's easier now, but what was it like initially you know to go from what you were doing in Nepal to come back here a to raise money to deal with the comfort and and the the privilege of our world not just your world i mean that must have been hard oh so i remember this one trip 
I was in Nepal. There was an uprising. There was like a Maoist rebellion. There were just busloads of young men coming in. And we thought, okay, this is it. We're going to, there's going to be fighting again. There was a curfew. The roads were all shut down. There was burning tires and billowing smoke. And I needed a police escort via the State Department because I, I had to get back to the States for, for something. So I, I get back and, I, and, and I'm coming down my, my main street in beautiful Mendham, New Jersey with the crisp lawns and the beautiful American flags. And I, I look up and I'm just like thinking about stopping to get a bagel. And there are signs everywhere and like picketers saying, no Dunkin' Donuts. Like, we don't want the Dunkin' Donuts to come into this town. <laughs> and I remember just, yeah, the the back and forth of that world to this and feeling like it's a completely different planet. And um, yeah, lots, all of the choices we have. The fact that you turn on the water and it comes out and you press the light switch and the lights turn on, it's, it was, it's amazing. And I'm really lucky that I get both. And, you know, you have a baby and a not a, is a four-year-old a toddler, mm-hmm. would you say? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> oh, is it a boy or a girl? I have a girl, four-year-old, and a boy, 11-month-old. Is your daughter, I mean, what level of awareness does she have about everything? She speaks fluent Nepali. She goes to school at our school. She understands. She'll say, oh, that's my mommy, but she's also their mommy, and... She knows they don't have these kids don't have parents. Their parents died. She knows everything. What is it like for her when she comes back to to New Jersey and Oh, it's- back to Jersey? She's just like, "Mama, I, I just want some pasta. I want some pasta to eat." She we eat a lot of rice and beans and she does go on strikes time and time again where she just doesn't I'm want not to eat, eat of Holly food. So she comes back and yeah, seeing her grandparents and um, it's hard to know how it's going to turn out. You know, she's this blonde, blue-eyed little gal being raised in Nepal. She did say to me the other night as I was putting her down to bed in, in Nepal, Mom, it's so hard to have yellow hair. I just oh. want brown hair. I want brown eyes. I want brown skin. And I was like, oh, you're the only kid that... Because <laughs> you always want what you don't have. Right. And she's the only one she who wants to looks fit like in. her. Yeah. She wants to fit in. So it's I, interesting. And, you know, in terms of... And is your plan to stay in this... This well, Actually, let me stop. Right now, you, the school and the orphanage are going. And Blink Now mm-hmm. is is the ex- express intention of Blink Now to support what you have. Is there more to do? Like, can you talk about the organization a little bit? And if people are listening and want to get involved or help out how they can do that. So in my lifetime, I would like to end the orphan crisis. I think there is absolutely no reason why we should have extreme child poverty with all of the resources and the tools and the technology that we have. And I think in the next three decades, um, you're not just talking to Paul. Oh no, no, no. I'm talking all over the world. It is, it's so simple, the interventions that you need to make to make sure that a child has their most basic human needs and rights met and that they live to the age of five um, and that they have access to basic education. There are very simple things that we can do in development. But grassroots is so much better. In, in, and I don't want to say it's easier, but in America, we have all these bureaucratic 
elements and all these different procedures and rules, and a lot of it's in place for good reason, but since you're a, a fair-minded person, you go in and you build it yourself and you do it right. Mm-hmm. You can't do that in, in, in America, I don't think. Can you? I think the model for development is changing right now, and we know now how to do better. And I went into this work because I was like, what's broken? There, right. This is a billion-dollar industry. And yet we still have children breaking rocks and hungry and cold and dying before the age of five, like unacceptable, unacceptable. And so I went in and was like, I did it with my $5,000 of babysitting money. We bought a little patch of land and started one dollar, one child, one one step at a time, building it systemically, organically at the grassroots level and kind of building it out with the thesis that if you raise a child with it, in tandem with a loving and safe community, the whole region will change. And it hasn't been easy. We're raising kids. We're in it. Um, but little by little, child marriage rates are going up. Hunger is going down. Females are going into primary school, and we're retaining them, and they're going off to college, and, and it's it's effective. And you so think I, it's scalable? I do. I think it's a growth model, and I think all over the world – People are doing this work and it's making a difference. And I think we just have to keep our focus on children. We can all agree when we look into the eyes of a sweet, innocent, beautiful child that we can do better. We can do better for children. It is, it, it's not okay. I have my two two major questions I want to ask you, and we'll do that at 820. I'm talking with Maggie Doyne, author of Between the Mountain and the Sky. It's really a story of her journey from being a 19-year-old, taking a gap year, to committing her life to... Uh, as you heard before, you know, ending the orphan crisis in this world. And she's done an incredible job with the community in Nepal that she's been working with, where she now has an orphanage and a full school. And there's a whole vertical for these children. And they're even coming now to the States to go to get their education, mm-hmm. which is amazing, too. Uh, there's, I have to say this, and I'm a proud male, and I think men sometimes, I don't know, sometimes we get a bad rap and sometimes it's justified, but the horrors that some of these young women and children suffer at the hands of men mm-hmm. in this book was stunning to me. Mm. And whether it's the alcoholism, the abuse, I mean, it's stuff we hear in the States, but I think it's at another level. And the first quick question is, like, how has that gotten any better? Well, I mean, we're looking right now at what's happening in Iran, right? Right. And we know that there is a serious issue around gender and violence against women in the world and domestic violence. And I think COVID exacerbated a lot of that um, because people were at home. Um, I do think there's more accountability and there's more transparency. And with that comes legal repercussions. And I think we're going to get to a place where it's just not okay. And there's going to be consequence and serious consequence. And one of the things that we do in our work is making sure that these things are reported and brought to the center and that the rescue happens, the intervention happens at the right time, at the right moment. And that sets a precedent and sends a message out that you cannot violate women who we, who we work with. We have a thousand women in our network now. You know, this is a little personal and you don't have to go all the way with the answer. But there were several points in the book where you were really at wit's end over this kind of mm-hmm. dynamic. Mm-hmm. And my question to you is... How did you not give up on men? I mean, you found love. You found a, hu- a husband. You know. have a husband and you have a man. Like, how did you not get so jaded that you would not, you know, not give that a chance? Because 
men and boy I'm I'm a mother to boys. I um my co-founder is an incredible man. Like I have I'm not losing faith in men. I'm trying to change uh, generational toxic masculinity. You know, like that's what we need to change and making sure that men have and boys have good male role models and we just need to redefine redefine and, and it'll take time it'll take generations i have a lot of empathy for for men and, and and i still believe in boys and i think we just need to change slowly how we view girls and women and it's happening and when we're raised with equality everything else will take care of itself yeah i mean i i think it's it's a it's a great topic for another day i think it's really difficult to raise good young men and i think mm-hmm. we make it hard for them in mm-hmm. america and I think we need to be more positive about men sometimes, yes. you know, and, and I think that there's a really good debate to have on that. And so, but I just, I read all those stories and I'm like, how could she then take the plunge? And, and you know, there's an optimistic si- side to that story. Yeah. And yeah, most the- acts of violence in this world are committed by men. So at some point you say, what we, we're doing something wrong and how do we fix it? Right. And fixing it is, I think, is the goal and not to just, you know, to punish, but to, to fix it. I, I think it was it was a dynamic that really was st- stunning to me. And it happens. There's so many stories, similar stories here in America. But the, the thing I wanted to, I don't know if we'll have time for more, but I, I want to make sure I get in, is this issue of privilege. I, I live, you know, listen, I grew up in a house with three kids and we only had one sh- shower. I mean, it wasn't like I had like real wealth. But I had middle, upper middle class upbringing. You know, I didn't really, I didn't get a lot of, I didn't get Air Jordans, but I didn't want for anything. Mm. And so you go to a place where you know you have this privilege and you would even, you know, you, you even called on it. And so how do you go to the point where you have that privilege and you still move forward and then you gain the degree of acceptance you have? Like, how did you do that? Like, that's what I don't understand is that to me, it's like, I'd be always so self-conscious about that that privilege or that otherness. And at any point, was it so discouraging you weren't sure if you could do it? Yeah, I think the book especially, it was a huge reflection on like, what is our role? When you are born free and empowered and safe and you have a chance at an education, like as a woman, I could choose who and when I wanted to marry, I can drive. What becomes your responsibility? Like, is it my place? Is it even appropriate? for me to dig in and try to solve this problem. And I think what I learned very early on is that I was just a messenger. I was just a conduit. I was just one force, but that the people, the local people themselves knew the solutions. I wasn't a problem solver. I didn't come in with solutions. I didn't try to bring suburban New Jersey to rural Nepal. That would have never worked. But what I realized is that, you know, there were amazing ideas and problem-solving solutions, and everybody wanted for education and for children. We agree on these things. Um, Did anyone and, ever tell you to get out? You don't belong here. I mean, now and again, like people would come and want money or a shakedown for something politically, and, and we stayed out of it. But I think our secret sauce was just working with the local people and the local women, and and really building community from 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 that grassroots level. But yeah, we go there in the book in a big way, like yeah. talking about it. What's our place and what do you do when you're born into privilege? And I, I like you, I didn't have I'm not a philanthropist. I didn't come from mass. Well, they had my babysitting money. But being born in this country is one of the greatest privileges in the world. We don't have rockets pouring down on us. Then what be, what becomes our duty and our responsibility to a human family? 
And to me, I'm like, I think we need to look at how we address children. Because when we see cycles of violence and war, it really comes down to children not being raised with love, with family, with basic things. So, The book is Between the Mountain and the Sky. Her voice is uh, Maggie Doyne. And, you know, I guess, you know, we only have like a minute here. You've done it for 16 years. Never got to go to college. Not yet, but my kids. I was just at Parents Weekend at Notre Dame. Um, my kids are all over the world. They're in Kathmandu. They're going to college. So I got to do the whole shebang. So wait, and, and so people should know, so you consider all of the children that come through your children? I have 68 adoptive children now. I'm mama to 68. Um, yeah. Have you had, Wait, so it's been 16. Have you had like weddings too? Not yet. None of my okay. kids have gotten married. My oldest is 26, so it's going to happen any minute now. That's so wild. But yeah. It must be incredible to go to a college and visit one of your students. And what, mm-hmm. I mean, I just, I think that's just incredible. And you're still, this is it. You're, you're not, you're not looking back. You're, you keep going the next 16 years. Mm-hmm. Creating a model that can change the reality of communities around the world struggling in poverty post-war. Yeah. So Maggie will be at the Renbrook School tonight in West Hartford, and it is at 6.30, I believe, yep. and it's open to the public, and, and she'll be giving, and I'm sure you have um, some degree of a template to talk, but I, I just think the book, I loved reading it, and I tell you, I was not kidding, like, I did not want to read it, because <laughs> Matt, I'm like, Matt, I'm like, Matt, I, I don't trust Matt, and <laughs> when it came to it, because he's all into self-help, and you know, he had this Chinese philosophy book, and I just said, I don't know, and the book, the book, you know, I, I tell every. Um, it's like a gi- I give it for, for a gift. So I really think <laughs> that you. uh, your work is a gift, and I appreciate your time. Thank you. Uh, Thank Maggie Doyne. The book is Between the Mountain and the Sky. She'll be at the Renbrook School at 630 tonight. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. (sighs) Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. 